Pleasant Valley High School, this is Amaya and Jocelyn. A new school year begins in just a few weeks, but some of us poor souls are already back. Music Week has begun at PV High School, and members of Chamber Choir are getting a jump start on the All-State Rep. Since it's choir season yet again, we're bringing to you this interview with one of PV's former choir directors. Let's get started. I'm David Baxter. I'm one of the choir directors here at PV High School. We have a couple rapid-fire questions. Perfect. So, our first one is cats or dogs? Dogs. Tea or coffee? Coffee. And then soda or pop? I'm gonna say pop. Why did you choose to teach high school choir? Um, so I guess the, the short answer is I wanted to do it better than my high school choir director. The long answer is I, I love music from a young age and wanting to build a, a program that I wanted to be a part of, especially for those students who might feel the same way as I do, uh, both about music, but also just wanting to have that environment where all the people involved care about it, at least to the extent that you guys get better at the same time, because I did not have that. So it's been a, a fun time over the last eight years, kind of shaping the program and shaping my classes, how I would have wanted to, to have them as a student. So. If you had to teach a different subject, what would be your second choice? To teach gym class. Because <laughs> then I could move around and wear athletic clothes. But I don't think I could teach math or science or social studies or any of the other like quote-unquote core area classes that students have to, to take. I just don't think I can do that. <laughs> do you have a secret hobby or something that you've never had a reason to tell your students? A secret hobby that I might not have told students about. You know, I'm a pretty open book with all of you guys, so I would say like the closest thing to a secret hobby is playing video games. Like I play video games a lot. Um, you know, I just bought a Nintendo Switch just for the new Zelda game, and I've been playing that pretty consistently for the last few days. Um, but everyone knows that <laughs> I talk about it with students in class. So, but secret hobbies, no. Is that your favorite video game, Zelda? Yeah, yeah. As far as the franchise is concerned, and it's definitely my favorite video game now. Okay. Um, but I played you know, endless amounts of video games. And kids come up and they're like, oh, have you played this game? I'm like, yeah, I played that game before you were born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite class in high school or college? When I was in high school, my favorite class was AP Calculus. I liked and respected my teacher a lot. Um, and I didn't, I just didn't get the same feel in my other classes. I felt like my teachers kind of phoned it in. You know, I got to this point in my life and I see the teachers that I teach with here at Pleasant Valley, regardless of the subject area, it seems that they really they all care and they're super knowledgeable. And when I, when I was a student, I didn't feel that same drive and I certainly didn't learn the same stuff that you guys are learning now. So I feel like I got, I got shortchanged there. But my AP Cup teacher was, was, Sim more similar to the teachers that I see here. And uh, I look back and I really appreciate that. And in college it was definitely choir. Just being able to, to sing at a high level with people that also cared. And, and that's what got me into this in the first place. What is something that only a choir teacher would know? Like a behind the scenes look at the choir department. Behind the scenes look at the choir department. Um, you know, it's not just waving our arms. 
you know, we don't just teach the music. It's it's a lot of logistics and budget stuff. Um, and thankfully, you know, if I do some logistics stuff, it's nothing compared to, <laughs> to what Mrs. Byrne has to do. So, you know, I've, I've kind of had the best of both worlds with having, you know, a good amount of responsibilities and autonomy in my classes, but not having to, you know, make all the chess pieces move on the board as the head of the department has to do. So, yeah, I think that just the logistics of it <laughs> is something no one sees and how things go off without a hitch. New York trip, concerts, all that stuff. Do you have a classroom pet peeve, or like something that your students do that you, that like annoys you? Uh, I have a small list. <laughs> Chewing gum, obviously. I hate hydro flasks and metal water bottles because someone always kicks them over and we have hard floors. It's just a jarring noise that takes me off my, off my train of thought if I haven't done that myself already, so. What do you look for in auditions? What is something that stands out to you when you're in auditions with like kids? When I'm in, aud in, a, in an audition, I'm looking for, I think above all, just the preparation. Regardless of the talent level, you can see if someone really cares about it by the time they put into it. You know, there are students with endless amount of talent that come in and will blow an audition because they don't prepare enough. And then you have students who have to work to really get to where they where they are and I've always related more to those students so just the amount of preparation that goes into something whether you've got a really strong grasp on what you're doing or you're just starting out if you're like if you care about it and, and you show that you've like put thought into it coming in that that shows up in the audition um, regardless of your skill level talent level you know I've had students that you know, couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but that come in and they've worked so hard on their audition. And those are the students that really show that like, there's a next level for them. There's a, there's a, there's a next step. Um, but then you have students who, you know, might be really good for where they're at now, but then don't put in that, that same effort and they won't get beyond or farther, much farther beyond where they are now. So I think that's one of those hidden things that it's fun to find in students, but it shows up in the audition process and I value that more than the, the, the flat out skill level. Do you enjoy auditions or do you enjoy like lessons better? If it comes down to lessons or auditions, I'm gonna say lessons, but I do like auditions uh, because again, like building yourself up to that cumulative moment or that, that like 30 seconds of fame as they, as they say, you know, um, you know, you work so hard for just a short time and it's a high stress situation. And I, I personally love that feeling and I like seeing you know, kind of students break through that, that barrier, you know, that, 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 uh, that's kind of like a forged in fire type of, type of, uh, feeling, you know, you can either back away from that pressure or kind of go through that and then you're like, oh, I survived and you get more confident just by doing that and showing yourself that you can. So I love auditions for that, but I love lessons because that's like the consistent window into the student's progress and having Having a direct hand in that and being able to see that firsthand is a really fun thing, like from week to week or month to month saying, oh, hey, remember when, you know, this was a challenge, now you're doing this, or, or you used to sing literature that was at this level, now you're singing, you know, opera arias, you know, and it only took a couple of years, you know, things like that. I love just the consistency that you can see. Do you have a teaching philosophy? A teaching philosophy, I guess, I've always just kind of done it my way. You know, I've, I've used just the, the parts of myself in my life as a teacher, and I think that's really important. And I, I think to, 
a degree, all teachers do that. And I think the best teachers do that. Um, Cause you guys know when things aren't real. You guys know when someone's like putting on a front and sometimes I don't think students get enough credit for being able to sniff that stuff out. And I've known teachers and I've seen teachers and I work with teachers that sometimes, you know, they have a teacher front and then, you know, once the students leave, it's a completely different teacher. And, you know, I am not saying that there's not a boundary between the life that your students see and the life you live, you know, um, but I've prided myself on showing like all of the aspects of my life to my students as far as, you know, things that are going well, the things that aren't going well in my life. Um, and just being able to use those in my teaching, you know, those life experiences and, and just the, hoping to relate. Can you tell us about your karaoke adventures, such as <laughs> your favorite song, uh, your next competition, or your like best victory or something? Oh, geez. I don't know when the next one will be, but my wife Heather and I like to do karaoke just, you know, as a pastime, but also, you know, we've entered some competitions. I don't know the next competition will be because it's just been, we've kind of kind of gotten humbled a bit because the people that judge karaoke competitions aren't necessarily there to see like the best singers that, you know, they want to see like quote unquote normal people. <laughs> and I've had that happen since I was in college. You know, my friends and I who were music majors would go and do karaoke and then get booed off the stage by people who were like, oh, you're cheating. Like you're actually doing this as, as a major. But my greatest karaoke victory would be beating my wife and winning a, a flat screen TV. So, you know, by extension, she won the flat screen TV too, but it was me that won it. So I, I will still hold that over her, even though she's won like five over me. So, wow. yeah. You have a go-to song? A go-to song. I have a couple go-to songs. Like I like Tennessee Whiskey by Chris Stapleton and, and not a whole lot of people would think that I'm a, I'm a country person. You know, I try to change things up a little bit, use a little bit of, of Broadway and show tunes and stuff like that in there too. And then now your other hobby, we know that you're a lifter. So how did you get into like lifting and mm -hmm. what are your lifting stats? Cause we don't know anything. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess all my lifting stats are irrelevant now. I've been kind of semi-retired from all the heavy stuff, but I got into lifting, I guess a long time ago. I was, I was not very athletic at all. Like I was a spelling bee kid growing up and that's like all I did. And one of my friends was a wrestler and I got into wrestling through that connection. And from then got into football and other sports, you know, at the same time I was doing music and stuff like that. So it was nice to kind of have both of those things coming in. But then after high school into college, you know, I wasn't good enough to do collegiate sports and certainly not at the level that a varsity college athlete would be at, but also being in like the top choir, it takes a lot of, of scheduling and, and some things you just can't balance. So I got into weightlifting as a way to keep pushing myself without having to like be part of like a team sport or an organized sport. And then when I moved to the Quad Cities, I met someone who said, hey, you should join the Iowa games and do a strongman competition. Like you just pick up heavy stuff. It looks really cool. And I was like, Oh, that sounds fun. You know, it was, you know, it's just a fun thing I did in Ames. And then I moved here and that same person said, Oh, there's uh, a strongman gym, you know, just down the road from where I lived. And, you know, I started going there and just really fell in love with it. Cause you know, 
you think about CrossFit and all the people are super ripped and, and everything and everyone and bodybuilding, everyone's counting calories and all that stuff. And I was like, strong men, you get to be strong, but you can also have a belly and all that stuff. So I just really enjoyed it. And the, the spectacle of it, I think is really, really thrilling. You know, like if you're a power lifter or you're just going in the weight room and you lift a bunch of weights, like it's really impressive because the, the weight is really high, but it just all looks like just weights. And one person might not know this amount of weight from that amount of weight by looking at it. But if you're picking up, you could be lifting something that's like lighter, but looks bigger or crazier. People look at like a car and if you're pushing a truck or pulling a truck, that's like, wow, I know that a truck is heavy. Because, you know, I drive one in my real life and, and people are like, yeah. So just being a part of that spectacle, it kind of takes me back to like the old circus strongman things with the people with the mustaches and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun to be a part of that, that culture and community as well. What's the most interesting thing that you've like lifted, I guess, in the strongman competition? Like... So in 2019, I competed in the national strongman competition in Columbus, Ohio. And we had to shoulder press, well, it's, it's called a log press. Um, and it's essentially a giant hollowed out or sometimes solid log with handles in it. And you have to bring it to your chest first and adjust your grip and then press it over your head. And for this, um, for some of the other competitions I've done, it's been a steel or aluminum log for easy manufacture and you can hollow it out and then add weight to it on the outside um, but these were actually wooden logs made for this competition with handles ground into them dug into them um, so you're actually just picking up a tree trunk essentially and, and hoisting it above your head and it's got rope and some of some of the stuff just looks really like medieval and I think that's just a, a cool thing because it's not necessarily about or it is about the weight, but you can take anything mm -hmm. and turn it into a strongman event. And I think that's the coolest thing. You know, I've had to take a car that's been backed over a frame and deadlift that car. And, and you're seeing the whole back of the car rise up off the ground and come back down. You have to do that 20 times or just one more time than the person before you or after you just to make sure that you win that, that event. So cars and, and trees. <laughs> or sometimes oddly shaped rocks, I think is, is really cool. How do you do both core and weightlifting, which are two activities that some people see as like opposite? I love this question. I've always kind of been in the middle of those two worlds. It's, it's the line's less uh, defined now, but when I was your age, you were a sports person or you were a music and, and theater person. and. You know, I was one of the few people in, in my school that did both, or, and certainly did both to, you know, like I was a varsity, you know, football player, a track runner or a wrestler, and, you know, I was in the Hall State Choir and I did all these things. And I would get kind of flack from both sides. Like, oh, I was a jock to the music people, but I was, you know, just a choir kid to the, to the jocks as well. And, so, and I got pressured to the point where I quit football because my coach, was not supportive of my music life at all. Insulted me through that. But there's so much learning that can happen between those two disciplines. Just like you're going to be a better athlete if you do multiple sports rather than just play football and do football drills in the off season. You know, do those, those people that are football players and wrestlers and track runners and baseball players have a more well-rounded 
physical development um, than people who just try to, sing, to single out one sport. And I think the same goes for singing. If you are just a singer, you're missing out on a lot of things that are just built in to sports and athletics, and especially weightlifting, being able to control groups of large and small muscles to work in tandem is a really important ability to then sing, and you're using a lot of those same muscles, maybe not to the, to the same extent or in the same way, but you know, especially the core and your body's alignment. Um, if you can set yourself right for squatting 500 pounds, then you can set yourself right to, to sing. If you can brace your core to, to handle that weight when you do squat, then you can control your, your ab muscles to really engage your breath and relax as you inhale. And even in the gym that I, that I go to, I've talked with, uh, with guys twice my age who lift more than I'll ever lift and have helped them with their lifts and they've got better technique than I do, they've got better knowledge of the lifts and, and everything, but their breathing needed work. And I could see that. So I've, I've helped singers through my knowledge of, of lifting and mind and muscle connection, but I've also helped uh, lifters with my knowledge of singing and, and how to really engage, engage your breath and take a relaxed breath in. And I've seen it just benefit in both worlds. And it's, it's cool to see that, and it's cool to then have people recognize, oh, it's not a separate world, and there's still lots of work to do on that. And I think as teachers and coaches and, and athletes and singers, we can all do more to really dive into not just the one interest or the top interest that we have, but all the different interests to, to keep being well-rounded and, and as teachers and coaches to really foster that, because it, it helps. You know, I think some of my best singers are athletes and I think some of the best athletes also sing or play an instrument because it just takes a different part of your brain. And if you're using all the parts of your brain, you're gonna be a smarter person than the person that's just using one. What are your hopes for your, like, for your future after you finish teaching at so my hopes are to land a nice, cushy cybersecurity job <laughs> after I finish all my certifications and, and work my way into that. Um, or my hopes for my future is to see my son grow into a well-rounded person and to be able to give him the life that he deserves already and to be able to, to enjoy time at home with, with my son and my wife and my dog. and. To have music continue to be a part of my life in a way that it hasn't been in a long time, you know, and it's not a knock against teaching, it's not a knock against teaching choir, but, you know, sometimes you do something so often that you don't want to do it in your free time, you know? Like, I used to work at Pizza Ranch, and for a long time I didn't eat pizza because I worked at Pizza Ranch, and well, we had to eat it on breaks, and, and currently, like, I don't listen to music in my free time, I don't participate as much in, in performance opportunities as I used to just because I do it for my job every day. So I'm hoping um, that I will reconnect with with that because it's, it is a big uh, important part of my life um, and to, to be able to share that with, with my family as my son is born and, and all that stuff is, is, is a hope for me. Do you have any advice for your students? I think do what you love. You know, don't let people tell you what to do or how to do it. Um, 
there's many more important things than the grade and I see the pressure to succeed and I think the drive to succeed needs to be balanced with mindfulness and being in the moment um, because these moments will pass you know there there are memories I wish I didn't have from high school and there's memories that I'm very fond of in high school but they are just that like you will be done and I think if you focus on how you're enjoying those and the people that you're enjoying those memories with then that's what that's what lasts you know it, I, I don't think of my AP calculus score on my exam like I know that it helped me in college but you know that's not it's not a part of my life now but the friends I met in high school that I'm still in a fantasy football league with and I graduated in 2010 were almost you know to 20 years on just being in the same fantasy football league, like that's what lasted from high school. So I think do what you love and, and, and connect with those people that are also doing those things and try your best at those things, but succeeding and getting the best grade or winning everything isn't everything. Like focus on your relationships and, and the connections that you make. Um, Cause all of those people are what transform you on your journey. Your teachers, you know, the students that I've had the, the friends that I've made, those are the things that transform you. The experiences are there, but it's really those people that you connect with within those experiences that, that fuel that transformation. And I think if people are more aware of that, then we can take a little bit more advantage of every day and every moment of that day. Do you have a favorite story or anecdote that you feel like you'd tell your students often or not enough? <laughs> Now that I mean, I mean, I'm sure that I've told the same story a bunch of times and now I can't remember, but I love my grandma dearly. And uh, my grandma, as she's gotten older, has lost weight. And I tell my students this a lot and she's had several surgeries. And when you're older, your skin doesn't snap back to where, to where it was. It doesn't have the same elasticity. And every time the students sing flat, you know, I'll tug on the skin on my arm. And I was like, you can't let grandma sag down because sometimes I would envision filling my grandma up with helium and all that you know that extra space would be filled with with air and she float so I always tell the kids is like make grandma float don't let her sag down um and I think I told that story several times a year since I've been teaching so take how many of our times I've said it in a year times eight it's like it's a big number um but I think I think that's the hardest question you told me is because I I talk a lot to the students and I think that the students will tell you that maybe I tell too many stories but you know there's a learning moment in everyone's experiences and the more experiences I feel like I share with the people around me and the people that matter to me then not only do or can they gain something from that for their own experience but they know who I am you know they'll, they'll know some of the things that have shaped me and I think that's important in music is being able to connect to the people that you're singing with or singing for. It makes it makes your hearts beat more in sync knowing knowing and caring for the people that you're making music with. So I think that's one small example of a story that I've told the students a lot, but there's countless that I've probably overtold. <laughs> um, do you prefer a large group or solo and ensemble? Personally, I prefer large group, just because I'm, I'm more active in the process, you know. I, I became a choir director to be a part of the music, you know. I want to shape the experiences that you guys have, but I also 
and doing it to, to be a part of that music too and to, to surround myself with, with high level music. So large group being a little bit more hands-on and collaborative on the whole is, is really fun for me. But I do value solo ensemble because it just it gets the students into a more independent mindset. It shows them that they can kind of succeed without the director all the time. So, and making it an independent musician is also the goal. Which is your favorite concert of the year? It's between Jazz Night and the Spring Concert. You know, Jazz Night for, for different reasons, obviously. It's just nice to see all the jazz choirs and jazz bands kind of culminate. Um, and it's it's a different concert than every every other one. But definitely the Spring Concert is, it's got to be my top one just because, especially me teaching concert choir, you know, there's mostly freshmen and sophomores that are coming through and, and you're developing this identity through the whole year, or maybe you're getting used to how we do things at PV, and then at the end of the year, you finally, just all those things that we drill and drill and work on through the year are set, and we just have to put it together with the music, and we're able to learn music at a little bit faster pace, or learn more difficult music, um, and it all just comes together. And I love directing the bass choir with the concert choir and chamber choir guys, and yeah, it's just, you have a little bit more freedom over the music you pick as well. In the fall, I do mostly the Opus Rep, which is decided in May of the previous year. The winter concert, we do holiday music, winter music, all those things, and solo ensemble, again, smaller ensembles, the large group into the Spring Awards concert. Like, all that music is like, uh, I want to do this music. I think the students will find value in this music, or we're working on these topics, so I can pick music that goes with that, and it's not so chosen already for one reason or another. What is the worst part of your job? The worst part? I think it's everything that we don't realize when we get into teaching. You know, it's like we want to be teachers, but, um, you know, you have to deal with, like, the procedural things, you know, with, you know, administratively or, or, or with parents, you know. I think just the, the state of education is, is a tough one and you know the political climate doesn't help but personally if it was just me in a classroom with students and I don't have to do anything else in my life it's great you know it's some of the other things you know you're you're accountable to to parents or even administrators that might not know what goes into the, your day-to-day and I think that's the hardest part is sometimes the people with no knowledge of what you're doing have power over how you do things um, and I think that's the hardest part for a lot of teachers. You know, some teachers might say, oh, teaching this age group is, is hard or, or I couldn't handle, you know, more than 20 kids in my room or these kids such and such are, are bad kids. Like I've never had issues with that, you know, because it's all about making those connections. And, I, you know, I love to try to make those connections. But I think it's, it's all the extra stuff that makes it hard for to hard for teachers to be teachers. Um, things that get in the way of teaching from the outside. What is the best part of your job? It's the kids. It's you guys. It's the music that we get to make. You know, again, like you guys don't get enough credit. And when I was finishing my college degree and was going into my first job, my mentor was like, you know, don't treat your high school choir like the, the college choir you just left. And I've never agreed with that because just because you guys aren't 20, 21, 22 doesn't mean that you can't reach levels beyond where you are. 
and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of focus and it takes a lot of commitment but the results have been so good when I've had a group of 50 or 60 kids that discover that for themselves and, and it's those moments where I'm like dang I love I love doing this because again you guys don't get enough credit like you guys are the future of the world every class that comes through is the future I'm not gonna sit there and say oh you're just high school kids you know it's like no let's dive in let's push you to the next level because um, that's what I wish I would have had and that's what eventually gave me the musical experiences to inspire me to do this for a career in the first place. And I think, you know, there there are students who resonate with that and students that don't resonate as much with that. But regardless, they will gain from it. You know, they'll learn from that and they won't be told to settle, whether that's in choir or any, any other aspect of their life. They'll say, no, I can do more. And if they don't, then at least they won't in, in my class. But you guys are the best. Um, and then we have one final question. Um, Billie Eilish or Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift actually sings. <laughs> I can't. I can't deal with Billie Eilish's vocal fry, and I'm not like a huge Taylor Swift fan either. But I just can't deal with uh, from Billie Eilish. So Taylor Swift all the way. <laughs> Special thanks to Mr. Baxter for his time. We're wishing you luck with the next chapter of your life. And most importantly, thank you for listening. We hope to be back soon on another Tuesday with another fun interview. Our team is composed of Amaya and me, Jocelyn. We do our own recording, editing, and uploading. Find us on Spotify and various other places like the student directory. Jamea signing out. Mm-hmm.